Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Happy New Year! If you're listening to this at the time of publication, it is a new year. And what happens around the new year? A lot of goal setting, a lot of big ideas, things we're going to accomplish. But a lot of those bigger travel goals or life goals take a long time. And there are some pitfalls we can encounter. One of those is the instant gratification high. I'll let you know why we need to beware of that in today's show. Plus, my friend Hannah stops by. We talk about a lot of things, the nomad lifestyle, the reality of it. She's been living nomadically for quite a long time. Slow travel, how styles of travel can change over time, getting started as a location-independent virtual assistant. We also talk about random travel jobs. She and I have that in common big time. I've had a lot of random travel jobs, and she has as well. So we jam on that and a whole bunch of other stuff. You're not going to want to miss this interview. I got a quote for you. I got a shout out, somebody in the community and just a ton more. We're kicking it off right here in 2019. Thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for stopping by, hanging out, letting me have the privilege of bringing a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I'm recording this in a cabin in Norway, up where my wife's family is from. We're spending the Christmas season, holiday season up here through the new year and yeah you probably heard a little bit about it in the last episode if you listen to the Norwegian Christmas Spectacular that's one of my favorite episodes to put together and I got some feedback on that episode from regular listeners who always check that out and I appreciate your feedback I hope you enjoyed spending a little holiday cozy time with us in that show and got a full slate of shows for you here in the upcoming year. So many great guests and exciting topics that we haven't covered before. I know we've got some amazing shows in the can because I've already recorded a bunch of them. I can't wait to put them out. So if you're not subscribed yet, get subscribed to the podcast. It's free anywhere you can get podcasts. And welcome to the global community, the Zero to Travel Caravan, kicking off another year. Thank you to everybody who's taken the time to write me Lately, I've gotten so many nice emails recently from listeners, and if that is you, thank you so much. If you haven't checked in, you can always get in touch with me, Jason, at ZeroToTravel.com, or better yet, if you'd like, leave a review. Wherever you check in, I read it all, and I want to say thanks, and I have a shout-out to one of you fine folks coming up in just a second. You know, the other day up here, I was scared like a little kid, like a little girl specifically, (laughs) and that's the truth. She was sitting at the table. This is my wife's third cousin's daughter who stopped by. We were hanging out, having some coffee and cakes, which we tend to do multiple times throughout the day here (laughs) in rural Norway over the holidays. My mother-in-law makes about 10 or 11 different types of cookies and cakes, and we sit around, drink coffee, and get all caffeinated and all sugared up. And they were over. She was hanging out. She was about six or seven years old, I think something like that. And 
they were trying to get her to speak English with me. I was speaking Norwegian with everybody and practicing and trying to do my thing in Norwegian, which isn't so hot, but it's coming along. And she was scared. She actually said she was a little bit scared to speak the language. And I said to her in Norwegian, I'm scared to say these words right now. I'm scared right now as I'm talking to you. And that's the truth. Every time I'm speaking Norwegian in a social setting, I still get a little scared, get a little nervous because I know I'm making mistakes all the time, but that's what it is to learn another language. And I'm getting most of it right, I should say. Uh, Even if it's not grammatically correct, I think people are getting the message. They're getting the gist of what I'm trying to say. And that's a really cool thing. So after I kind of let her know that, then she said some words in English or she said Merry Christmas, I think, in English. And it was a really cool moment. But I could relate to her. I could relate to her fear. And the only way you can learn a language is by speaking it, by listening to it, and practicing. And if language learning is one of your goals coming up this year, I've got a treat for you, a longtime supporter of this show and my favorite audio language learning tool, Pimsleur, is coming back as a sponsor this year. And this is the best time of year because you're all fired up, I know, to tackle those goals. And language learning for travelers, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, you can travel with confidence. You can connect with locals. You can have a deeper travel experience when you can speak another language. And Pimsleur is my favorite way to listen and learn on the go. So if you like listening to podcasts and learning that way and consuming information that way, check out the Pimsleur courses. And if you go to zerototravel.com slash easy, that'll redirect you to a page where you can sign up for a free seven-day trial to their monthly membership service. And if you decide you like it after seven days, you can sign up and they have a couple levels you can choose from for the price of a couple burritos or a few beers out. Each month, you can get access to all the courses in any language you want to learn. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. That offer is currently available for people in the US. But if you are based internationally, you'll still get redirected and see some of the awesome stuff they have for you. And if you go through that link, you'll also be supporting the podcast and my work. And I thank you so very much for that. Before we get into today's interview, let's talk about those big New Year's goals you have, whether it's getting in shape for your upcoming trek to... Nepal or cutting back on an unhealthy habit or saying, this is the year you're going to take that trip you've been thinking about, there's one big thing you have to be aware of, and that's the instant gratification high. I wanted to mention this because I know this is something I struggle with and a lot of other people that I know as well, and I hadn't been able to identify what it was until I started thinking about it before I was going to record this podcast with you, and I think, well, what is one of the big things that stops people from accomplishing those big goals. And when I say the instant gratification high, what I'm talking about is that momentum you have at the beginning of the year. You know that feeling we have right now where it's a new year, the slate is totally clean, and now we can finally accomplish those big goals that we've been meaning to get to for a while. And then what happens? Let's take the most popular, one of the most popular ones, getting in shape. And if you've ever done this before, you say, hey, I'm going to start training really hard. I'm going to get into this whole workout fitness routine. I've got some traveling coming up. I want to do some backpacking, some hiking. I'm going to get ripped. I'm going to go get ripped. And then you join the gym and you go and you've got that sort of instant gratification of taking those first steps, right? You've, you've joined the gym. You're taking action. You're there. You're on the treadmill. You're lifting weights. And it's just, it's real. It's happening. You're doing it. And that's such a high. We get so high from that, right? I don't need any science-backed discovery to tell me how I feel. That happens naturally when you start tackling a big goal at the beginning of the new year and you're taking steps towards it. It feels empowering. It feels good. But then time goes by and you can't keep that high forever. It doesn't last. You have to, I don't know if you have to crash, but you're you're not going to be so geeked up on it, you know, six weeks in, you're just going to be in this habit of going to the gym or whatever. So I wanted to bring this up because it's just something to be aware of as we work through the beginning of the year, start taking action towards those goals. And we're getting that instant gratification feeling of, yes, we're finally doing this thing or whatever. We're stepping up our game this year, whatever the case, you know, give yourself more credit for the small daily actions you take rather than the big 
milestones. And we think we should celebrate the big milestones when we hit them, but it's those small daily actions that are going to get us to those. Those big milestones are few and far between, but we have to take those small actions to get to our big goals. So celebrate your persistence and your commitment. And even if you go and do just a little thing each day towards your goal, celebrate that. Don't get down on yourself like I do and say, oh man, I was supposed to work out like an hour today and I only whatever, ran for 10 minutes and then walked because I was tired. Well, hey, let's all give ourselves a pat on the back for doing that. And I'm not saying don't get excited at the beginning of the year and don't embrace that high of the instant gratification that we're chasing a dream or a goal or whatever. But I'm saying, I guess, temper it a little bit. Don't, don't feel like the crash is really low if a few weeks down the road you're not feeling that peak high it, it just doesn't work like that, right? So, I, I mean, I know you know that, but these are just great things to talk about at the beginning of the year just to remind ourselves. I, I, I talk about these things with you to remind myself. <laughs> and getting to record this podcast in, in that way also really helps me because I get to talk about these things and share these things with you and and then I can refresh my mindset around that as well. So there you go. Just thought I'd share some thoughts around that because... This is such a popular time of year to start going after new goals and things. So for what it's worth, there it is. Now, let's slip and slide into today's interview. Stick around afterwards. I got a quote for you. I've got a shout out to somebody in this community who was chased by 12 guards with assault rifles on a recent trip. You got to hear this story and more. It's all happening after the interview. Enjoy listening in on my conversation with Hannah and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is the founder of DigitalNomadKit.com, a one-stop shop for all you need to start building your own successful virtual assistant and freelance business, which of course can help you travel the world like she does. We're going to chat about a variety of topics, including how to extend your travels indefinitely, the quickest way to go location independent, some random travel jobs she's had. We have that in common. Uh, we have we, I'm got an interesting conversation there and so much more. Hannah Dixon, my friend, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Have I ever told you that I love your hair? You haven't, but thank you so much. That's very sweet of you. We're on <laughs> Skype right now, and it's just cool. <laughs> Thanks. I'm growing it out, actually. I'm not, I'm not sure about it right now, so I appreciate that. You got like the like sort of a bun on top, but like kind of the shaved sides. It's cool. Uh, anyway, so you're, you're in Budapest now. I am Budapest, Budapest. Yes. Uh, yeah. Budapest. Um, how much do you move when you're traveling right now? Because you are a digital nomad. And how long have you been doing this? So I've been traveling for 10 years consecutively, um, but maybe five or six now as a digital nomad. So the whole working online thing. I used to move around very quickly, maybe like every two, week, two weeks, two or three weeks. Um, as I'm getting older and as I have more work to do, that's slowing down significantly. I would say probably three months in most places now before moving on. Do you think your travel style would have changed in that way anyway? Or is it the work that sort of feeds that? I think it could have changed anyway. I think I, I realized I'd like to get to know people like on a really, um, you know, make stronger bonds with people in the places that I'm going to actually create friendships where I feel like I can come back and see those people again instead of just hopping in and out. Because I found myself not taking the time to get to know people. I'd be like, well, I'm never going to see you again. What's the point? And I think this sort of sense of loneliness started to set in. And I think that would have happened even if I wasn't working online. Yeah, it's interesting in the digital nomad world. It's I don't know if I love the term yet, but it's, it is what it is. But when you use the term, you identify with a certain group of people that are doing this thing in a variety of paces, right? Like some people are home for a while, then they're out on the road for a while. And the point is, there's this built-in community now that exists, which is really nice when you're traveling indefinitely, because that was one of the things I miss the most. When you were traveling and, and sort of doing the travel jobs and things like that, did you often have a longing for settling down. This was a battle I always fought when I was living nomadically and I was working travel jobs like you. I would have this debate in my head like, oh, I miss kind of miss like going to the gym and doing like sort of regular life things and being in a community. But then, but then I get to travel and see all this stuff. Did you ever have that battle with your own self? Yes, I think I still do have that. Um, 
And it, very similar, you, you say the gym for me, it's like just calling up a friend and be like, let's go to the movies tonight and just not having that. But I think for me, it always, the travel always came out on top and then just finding ways to make it work for me while I'm traveling. So for example, we were just in London. I know you spoke to Kiri, my partner, um, recently, and we just did a Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving dinner with her seven and seven crew. So just creating ways to norm- make these normal experiences that you would have in your day to day life if you were just in one place, um, but on the road. So having these people that we meet up with continuously around the world has really helped with that. I remember my first backpacking trip, this one particular crew at the hostel, we all just bonded and we ended up just having so much fun together. And even though that was only for three days, that was kind of like my community for three days. And that felt really good. It felt good to have that those connections. How long have you been doing the online working thing? I think just under six years. Six years. Okay. Let's talk about your travel jobs. And then I want to kind of do a compare and contrast here because I'm just going <laughs> to read off a few random ones. You said you spent around four years working on farms. You learned to be a dog musher. You did gardening, permaculture, intentional communities. You worked at the fragrance counter in New York at Macy's. (laughs) When did you first start traveling and how did you, I mean, you said about 10 years ago, but did you know it was going to be this type of indefinite thing? Like, did you buy a one-way ticket or was it just a gap year type situation or how did it start for you? Uh, so there's there's two sort of starting points, and I'll talk about both because I think they're both significant. The first time that I ever thought about traveling, I was 16, and I was in school, and I don't know, I guess in all places in the world, you have like summer holidays for the, the school things, like six weeks or so. And I didn't know what to do in my time. I, I was working a weekend job at a grocery store. I had a little bit of money, not a lot, but a little, enough to probably go on a short trip. And my teacher said to me, well, why don't you go abroad? And I just never thought about it. She was like, you have a passport, right? You can travel alone now you're 16. Why don't you go to Europe for summer? And it literally sparked something, like something changed in my head. I was like, oh, my God, I can do that. I can go anywhere. Like, I, I can do that. And so, yeah, I booked a, we booked a train ticket. Uh, me and my friend booked a train ticket to go around um, Europe for that summer. And I was hooked since then. We started taking little trips as often as we could. But by the time I was 18... I've probably been traveling 12 years now thinking about it. Um, 18, I unfortunately was in a really abusive, horrible relationship, uh, which made me catapult into my journey a completely different way. So I actually moved to New York because I was running away from someone who was stalking me. Um, so it's a bit of a dark story, but it actually ended up being for the better, of course. So I went to New York and started working at the fragrance counter there, and that's kind of where my journey began. Um, and from there, I was just like, wow, I, I want to keep doing this. Um, I found WorkAway. I'm sure some of your audience probably know that, WorkAway.info, I think. Uh, HelpX, lots of different work exchange programs. Um, and to be honest, I've, I've only really started talking about this recently. I feel like a lot of my initial travels were a running away from my childhood and my experiences, but then became something really beautiful and a place of healing for me. And I think that that's just continued throughout my whole life. And I don't see my life going any other way. I think I'm supposed to be continuously moving. So at what point did you feel like it was okay that the road was your home? Because that was something I struggled with for a while. I'm like, is this, am I supposed to be doing something else? Because everybody else is doing this sort of traditional thing. But then I felt really comfortable just moving around and doing random jobs all the time like you. And that just felt right. But I mean, when did that feel right right away? Or did you kind of have to settle into that as a life choice? Uh, So I spent about a year in New York and... I began to sort of settle into somewhat of a normal routine. I had a girlfriend there. We got an apartment. We had a car. Um, I was looking at getting a promotion, all this stuff. Um, And I I think, again, a relationship breakdown. Um, It wasn't half as horrific as the first one, but it was just a normal relationship. We just wasn't working out. And I was like, well, maybe I'll head back to Europe. You know, I've done some cool stuff here. And I actually went back to London, uh, got a job in a bar and was like, nope, I'm not doing this. Um, I found work away and I was like, this looks cool. And the first thing I did was actually go to the Husky farm. Um, And from there, I was like, there are so many awesome people in the world. I don't need to be here in this crappy little town that I grew up in. Like, (laughs) How many people lived in the town that you, what town was that? Uh, It's actually not that crappy and it's not that small. It's It's about, it's a sheer London suburb. It's called Romford. It's, it's, it's a London suburb that has its issues, and I think just my own experience there made me feel like it wasn't a great place for me. You know, it's the kind of place you go back and people are just still working in that bar for 40 years, and that's their life, and it just wasn't for me. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, when I got to um, Austria, which is where the dog mushing place was, I was I met a lot of really cool people there. Opened up my eyes to a lot of new ideas, just about how to live and how you could live off the grid. You could, I mean, I'm definitely not doing that now, but at the time that was interesting to me. Yeah, and just like the, the world really was my oyster, and I was in this very privileged position, and I should I should follow that, and I should take advantage of that. Yeah, it's funny how you know nowadays. I mean, you can certainly read about all these different things you can do on the internet. You can listen to this podcast, and oh, if you ever heard, haven't heard of WorkAway.info, you can go check it out and see all these different opportunities. But there's something about actually being in a place and talking to other people that are living this life and doing it that is like a holy crap moment. At least it was for me as well. I'm just like, I just remember meeting this guy in a hostel in Southern France and he was saying, I'm just going to go down to the waterfront today and try to find some, some boats that I can help, you know, them paint or do something and then try to get on one of these boats and travel somewhere if somebody needs me. And I'm just like, that's, wait a minute, that's that's a thing you can just do. (laughs) I mean, Oh yeah, I guess you could just do that. And it's just these kinds of idea exchanges that you can't always get from from an article, and maybe even can, but it's not as visceral in yeah. some way. So it's funny too when you said about <laughs> your hometown, and you're like, "Well, it's not that great." Because I kind of, <laughs> I think everybody wants to bust out of their hometown, and in, in some yeah. way, or not everybody, but a lot of people. And then when you actually do, and time goes by, I mean, maybe sometimes you're like, "No, it still sucks," but you kind of like, I don't know. I like at least for my town, I look back, I'm like, "Oh, that's a nice. That was a pretty nice town." But when we were living there, going be like, this town sucks. You know, it's all like teen <laughs> angst and whatever. Mm-hmm. They won't let me ride my skateboard. They keep <laughs> trying to arrest me. Uh, <laughs> things are different now. Were you traveling to locations based on the opportunity to do a work exchange or something like that? Or were you going to a place first and then finding something? I was uh, following the workways because I had no money. So <laughs> uh, when people accepted me, that would be my cue to move on. Um, and there were times where I definitely had to go back to the UK and work a couple of months, build up a few funds just to be able to afford those trains in between. But I tried to stay at workways for longer times. So, for example, the dog mushing place, I went back numerous times and helped him uh, for a few winters. And I'm going actually to see him this weekend. He's a good friend now. But yeah, I would just follow where the opportunities came up. And obviously, I'd apply to only the ones that I was interested in. So it wasn't just any old thing. But yeah, and I, like I wouldn't say it was completely easy. I loved it. I enjoyed that. Like you said, you know, it's so easy to just fall into that life and just follow it. But there definitely were times where I needed money. And I think that's what ended up getting me into working online. Because I was like, I can't just do this. I can't do this forever. You know, I need some. I need to be able to buy new shoes when it's winter. Right. Um, that kind of stuff. Were you getting support from family and friends? Like, say, when you came back to London and, you know, you're just like, oh, I'm doing this dog mushing thing, working in these gardens or whatever. You know, sometimes that can go either way. If you have really supportive friends and family, they can be like, oh, that's so cool. And other people might be like, what are you doing with your life? When are you going to get it together? Da, da, da. What was that experience <laughs> for you? I think it was a combination. There's a lot of like, oh, she's living a life. She's doing that thing that young people do. But when are you going to get a job and settle down? After like um, three or four years, they're like, all right. Stop having fun. You can't have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Um, You know, have you ever thought about going to university? No, I haven't. (laughs) Um, All that kind of stuff. But one thing that I have happened with my friends, which surprised me was, and I guess it comes from a place of jealousy, was a lot of sort of snarky comments um, about like, well, she's got money to go everywhere. I'm like, no, because I use this thing and they just don't want to hear it, you know. Yeah, just lots of snarky comments about, and not really knowing what I'm doing, stopping to pay attention. So, like, I would send them postcards still at the time um, and, you know, I'd stay in touch with them and they wouldn't even know where I was. Like, I'd come back from the dog place, which was in Austria, um, and they're like, oh, no, she's in Siberia or something again. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> Siberia? <laughs> they don't know where I was. Yeah. So I guess, I guess they just lost interest maybe for also – Feeling jealous. I don't, I'm not really sure what the issue was, but a lot of those friends aren't really my friends anymore. So. Right. Yeah, it's funny how that goes. What kind of advice would you give to people who are having that similar experience? Because that can be a big deterrent for some people. You know, if you're not getting support, you start, you could start to question your own. It's like the gaslighting effect, right? I mean, you can start to question your own reality. You're like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And just because other people are saying it, even if you're having the time of your life, even if you're living hand to mouth, but you're having all these amazing experiences and you don't want to stop, but then you have this outside external pressure from people telling you maybe you should get your stuff together or whatever. 
what advice would you give people? I would say that before, you know, telling you to do anything, recognizing that there are just going to be some people that fall off. Like that's going to happen. That's something that I had to accept that. And I know that as a person, as you grow, as you get older, you do lose people because I feel like everyone has a purpose in your life. And what's the saying? It's like everyone's there for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I believe that really wholeheartedly and recognizing that some people are in your life for a short period of time um, and not everyone will support you. But that being said, I think there are ways that you can sort of uh, maintain your friendships in a, in a better way. And, you know, having coffee dates via Skype, we have the technology to do that. Um, that's something I do with my friends at home now. Once a month, we just we all get on Skype. We have some wine together. We get drunk. We talk about stuff. You know, we just we catch up. Uh, and that's something I didn't do at the time. I didn't even have a smartphone. You know, I didn't I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, but now we have the capability to do that. I would definitely recommend something like that. Um, and then also just, you know, maybe talking about why you're doing what you're doing more because some people can just be like or educating them on how the world is changing and this is actually not that strange. And, you know, I was just like, oh, whatever, guys, like, you don't care, I don't care either. Like, I, I was pretty, like, rebellious and annoying at that time. <laughs> but uh, now I think that I... The, the friends that I have main, managed to maintain since like being a small child to now are the ones that were always going to be there anyway. And they respect me for what I do. I respect them for what they do and their choices. Um, and like I said, we have those coffee, AKA wine dates pretty often. So that helps. Yeah. I like that saying, I actually haven't heard that the reason a season and a lifetime. It, thinking of it that way, you can take a little bit of the emotional attachment out but you don't want to remove the emotional attachment to friendships but you know it is important i think when you're not getting support to take a good look at like okay are these the people i should be spending time with you know taking kind of the meta look and and maybe focusing on a phrase like that can help you take some of the emotion out to understand hey is this toxicity from these people worth the compromise of my uh, my dream in, in, in an example like that if they're going to deter you uh, maybe that's an extreme example but i think people listening get get the gist of what we're saying right and i think also just being able to appreciate a friendship for what it is in that moment and just if it does come to an end appreciating for what it was and what it served you how it served you in the past um because there there are probably people that have dropped off because they haven't I haven't liked them as I grew up and they haven't liked me. And it, it works both ways. And I think as long as you can be like, all right, I can package that and be like, that was that time frame, and that's fine. And that's what it was then. And I needed that, but now I don't anymore because I'm seeking something that matches what I'm doing now. That's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there will always be, you know, I think everyone has friends they can count on one hand that will always be there. So just focusing on those. That was a struggle for me in the beginning when I started traveling because you, you do, you can form these bonds with people really quickly and then you're just gone. And at first, that's just, oh, we're just floating. And then after a while, that can, or sometimes it can be a bummer. It's just like, oh, it would have been cool if we could have hung out more, spent more time together. But just appreciating what you had with that person, it really does change the way you approach life. At least it did for me. Sounds like for you, too. What was your first online gig? <laughs> um it was one of these times I had to go back to the UK and some money in a bar. So I was in the UK and I went on plentyoffish.com and uh, I met this girl and she worked in SEO and she worked from home. And I was like, oh my God, you work from home. That means I, like you could do this anywhere. Mm-hmm. So without knowing what a digital nomad ding, was, ding, without, ding. <laughs> yeah, without knowing any of that, I was just like, ooh, maybe I want to learn about SEO. Um, yeah. Big mistake. But um not my thing at all. But but, but not necessarily because you need SEO for your business now, right? True, so. true, true. But it wasn't like my jam at the time. But right. I was like, teach me everything you know. And so she did. And <laughs> I was still like, this is still beyond me, but I can do the basic admin stuff, um, which I ended up doing. And then we ended up starting a company together um, within three months because she was really great at SEO and web development, all the techie stuff that I just can't do. And so I just by default fell into the role of sort of an assistant, which at the time I didn't know was called a virtual assistant. Um, And then these clients we were getting obviously needed other things. They needed social media management. They needed all these things like that. Um, So I, by default, just fell into that role of assisting them in that way. But my first ever gig that I did that I got paid for um, was actually a $5 gig on, I don't believe it was Upwork. It was one of those freelancer platforms. Um, It was $5 and it was the top, 25 cities to live in to bring up kids in the states or something random like that it's probably the worst thing i ever wrote i could probably find it for you but um 
it took me about three days to do all the research and put it all together. And I was like, I am never, never working for $5 again for three days work. Right. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, we started that company and I became the sort of VA for all the clients. And that, that's pretty much how it started. But don't you have to have those experiences to kind of figure things out? For people that haven't started a location independent business, looking from the outside in, it can seem like this glamorous thing. But there's all that sucky stuff you have to go through. Kind of, be, we could say, well, well, you don't have to. You can be smarter about it. But inevitably, some something's going to happen, right? Oh yeah, for you're sure. going to do something you don't like, like SEO, or you're going to underbid a project, or whatever the case is. Um, and that's part of the learning process. But if you don't learn that, then you don't know what you don't know, and you can only know it by going through it. So, I mean, how do you feel about mistakes like that in your life? Or I'm using mistakes with air quotes. Um, I mean, I, I don't really see them as mistakes. I see them as just points of learning. Um, I know that sounds really cliche, but it's kind of true. Like I don't really feel, even now, like I make big, I guess you could call them failures, mistakes. I wouldn't really call them that. I make big mistakes all the time, still in my business. Um, but I always managed, and I, I think it's about how you frame them. So I, I always use a mistake as an opportunity for innovation because I'm like, there's something wrong. So everything needs to be reworked. Um, so that's something that I always have in mind and I never really beat myself up about them. I think, I think I've failed enough in my life that I'm kind of immune to the feeling maybe. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I messed up. Um, my only thing is like if, if it affects someone else and it disappoints other people, that's where it sort of bothers me. And then I have to like make amends and say my apologies. But if it's just me, I'm just like, okay, this is a learning point for me and it's all good. I can, you know, I know I can figure this out. Um, and I think that is I think it does stem from even my years of travel beforehand and the life I had was just like whatever the situation, however bad it gets, like I can figure this out. I have the power to do that. So I think traveling gave that to me a lot because there were a lot of situations where I was stuck or out of money or, and I would always come up with a inventive way to get myself out of it. Resourcefulness. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> do you think these things we're talking about and now we're talking about big questions like, you know, some of the fears that might be involved with starting a business and, and fears of failure and things like that. What do you think about all that? The bigger your business gets, the bigger your problems get, the bigger those fears get um, to its continuous work. Um, you know, the fear of not being good enough is a huge one, um, you know, not skilled enough. And one thing that I always say to myself that I would say to your audience and I would say to anyone um, is if you're feeling not good enough, you just need to remember that you only have to be one step ahead someone to be an expert. So, even if all you knew how to do was use Microsoft Word, there is someone who can't do that. You're an expert in Microsoft Word. That always makes me feel better. I'm like, I'm an expert in a lot of things. <laughs> I'm good. I think it's continuous work. I think that there's never, I think it's human nature to doubt ourselves and compare ourselves. Um, so it's, it's not about getting rid of that. It's about um, managing those fears in a more productive way, I think. And I do think that as you grow, they, they do get bigger, you know, you hit milestones in your business and then you'll have bigger problems and it will just, you just have to step up to it. You know, in the same way that you have to step up to the things that are great in your business, you have to step up to the things that are not so great and manage them better. What is the quickest way to go location independent in your opinion? Well, I might be biased, but, um, I do think that moving towards, um, virtual assistance or some sort of freelance uh, assistance role is really easy for a lot of people and that's why I really advocate for that because I think that all of us especially millennials and what are the generations below millennials now who knows the generation I lost X track <laughs> the younger people <laughs> um they're younger people which I'm not anymore um <laughs> they all have tech skills that are invaluable to the older generations um they can be sold online immediately and I think that people disregard their previous experience in, in, in offline um, situations as well. And I don't think that you need to have like hard tech skills to get started with it. So you can literally just be like, hey, I know how to use Instagram. That's a skill that you can sell online, you know. Um, so I think people just don't realize that they're sitting on a lot of skills that there is a demand for right now. And that's why I think it's so easy to get into once you realize that and switch that light on in your head like, oh, I am skilled. I can I can sell this. Well, let's take the Instagram example. I'd love to hear your methodology and let's all pretend we'll be the avatar that you're teaching. And we know how to use Instagram pretty well. And now we want to get paid to do that. What is, what is your methodology? Like, Walk us through what you would tell that person and how they could go from zero to being location independent. 
Okay, cool. So you got the Instagram part down. That's fine. You can put that aside for now. Now you need to think about what your interests are. And I, I'm not going to use the words passion and purpose because it, that can overwhelm people and they'll be like, well, I don't have one of those. And actually, one of the things I talk about is if you don't have a passion or purpose, you know, what, what are you just interested in? Let's start with that. Um, so maybe you're really interested in... You're really interested in burritos. You eat a lot of burritos. You love them. They're great, right? I'm really into burritos. Let's <laughs> say so you really love burritos. You really love Mexican food. You spend like every night of the week going to a new Mexican restaurant. That's just something that you don't even think that you can apply to business, right? But you're really good at Instagram. Um, the first port of call is to think about what are your interests because you could do Instagram management for these Mexican restaurants. And you're like, oh, once you realize that, you're like, boom. And then people will say, well, how do you get the clients then? Well, presumably, if you're really into burritos and you're really into Mexican food, you probably know a lot of the Mexican um, restaurant owners. You maybe know the waiters. You maybe know food bloggers that you follow. You already have an immediate network that you would normally sort of not think about. It's right under your nose because it's something that you do anyway. Um, so reaching out to those people and just being like, hey, I'm starting this new thing. You're like, can I trial it with you? You don't have to pay me anything. Um, you know, let's do this for a month. If you like it, we'll continue getting those testimonials under your, in, under your belt and um, and getting going with it, learning. Like once you you don't have to like invest in all these things and try all these, like just ask your immediate network. So what I'm saying is whatever you're into, those people around you are going to be into it too because that's how we make friends. That's how we create communities. So whatever you're into, start with that. And maybe it's going to change over time. Maybe it's going to adapt. But get your foot in the door. Start making money. Start making a name for yourself. And as you go, you will learn how to do the things like making the website and, you know, doing the Facebook ads and whatever you need to do to bring more traffic to your to your services and products. But start with what you already have and don't discount what you already have. If you had a job in fashion, you know, people in the fashion industry, contact them. What are you good at? What, what do you, who do you have around you already? What are you interested in? Match that up and start. It will change. I promise you it will change. So don't ever feel trapped in being like the Instagram person for burritos in, in Romford, for example. That can change. But I would say make a start because once you realize how easy it is, once you've created that little network around you, you can change that. And once you start growing, you have these testimonials. It's way easier, way easier than just starting from nothing and zero. So use your immediate network. That is like my biggest tip pricing what is your advice so we can avoid the the five dollar three-day article situation <laughs> yeah i have some controversial opinions about the pricing thing you know there are a lot of these freelancer platforms that are like you know five dollars an hour and compete with like you know uh, what it really is is competing with places that are in you know less economically um advantageous i guess than us and um, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think if you are, it depends where you're from. And I think it's about what you're comfortable with. But I teach don't charge less than $25 an hour, no matter where you're from, because I like to raise the standards worldwide of, you know, how we're working and how, where we're moving towards instead of bringing it down for the rest of the world, let's bring it up. Um, so I do say no less than $25 an hour. Um, but again, that's not like cut and dry, like whatever feels comfortable for you, whatever um, helps you pay your bills, covers your tech. Um, and actually makes you feel like, you know, valued for the job, for the for the work you're putting out there. But my general is $25 is the minimum for a starter VA um, because generally speaking, most new VAs are pretty skilled in tech stuff already. And it's skilled work. You know, when people say, well, the minimum wage in the Philippines is, I don't know, $1.50 an hour. And I'm like, yeah, for cleaning toilets, that's minimum wage. Right. That's not skilled work wage. So right. just keep that in mind too. Just in case anybody is hearing the term virtual assistant for the first time, I think we kind of defined it through your experience. But if you want to just give a brief synopsis. Sure. A virtual assistant at its very core is someone who assists someone virtually, which um, leaves the scope pretty pretty wide there. But um, you could do anything from social media management, uh, marketing, building websites, managing websites, copywriting, writing newsletters, blog posts, for example, um, general sort of admin like correspondence, customer service. Yeah, this, I mean anything that an online business needs to do that um, they need to outsource, the virtual assistant could pick up the pieces for that. Uh, this this question is going to sound out of left field, but I promise it it relates. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Okay, so for somebody that identifies with either, or maybe somewhere in the middle, do you give advice around? choosing what type of business you're going to be in based on your personality type? Um, yes and no. So with my private mentoring, I definitely do. And 
what I find is a lot of virtual assistants are inherently introverted. Um, they don't want to be the big face of a business, which is something I struggle with because I am the face of my business. And so taking that sort of behind the scenes, like the person that is the driver of the business, but actually isn't seen is, is quite appealing to them. Um, then I've had people that come through that are more extrovert and they start with a virtual assistant stuff and then they, they end up building their own products. Maybe like, uh, I have some, um, even people on my team right now who help me, but also have products about how to use tech things. And they're starting to make a name for themselves in that sort of field in the education field. Um, so I think, I wouldn't say it's as, as simple as that, but I do. I think we can be versatile, but I think there are definitely more introverts in the VA space than, than not. So what's your advice for introverts, let's say? Because we were just talking before we recorded, you said you've been to four conferences in the last two months, I think, mm -hmm. where you're meeting people and, of course, outreach for clients and conversations. I mean, you have to put yourself out there in order to have a business, even if you're the person behind the scenes, you still, you're going to have to talk to people at some point. For the extremely introverted, that can be too big of an obstacle to, to overcome, at least mentally. And I don't want those people to miss the opportunity of like having a location-independent business if that's something they want in their lives. So what kind of advice would you give? I think it's about, you know, creating space for yourself when you need it. I'm going to maybe um, ruffle a few feathers here, but I was recently on a podcast about introverts in business. And um, it's pretty much what I said there, which I'll, I'll say again, which is that I don't think that your personality type is an excuse for you to not move forward. Um, as an introvert, as someone who is incredibly introverted, I struggle with it. I still struggle with it, but it's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Um, you have to get yourself out there to a degree. You can set boundaries about maybe you don't want to do live streaming. That's fine. You can use a different medium. Um, maybe you have one day of the week that you only do your calls. So you can prepare for it mentally that that's the only day that you do your calls. Um, you know, if, if people were booking into my calendar here, there and everywhere, I would freak out. I'd be like, oh, my God, I've got no time for myself. Everyone wants to talk to me like it's encroaching on my time. But I'm like, I can only do calls on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when it comes to my students. So setting boundaries around it, but also recognizing that you do need to show up in some capacity. But it's about optimizing that process for yourself. Like I said, the days or maybe you don't do live streams to promote yourself or maybe you don't do podcasts to promote yourself. Maybe you do guest blogs. Maybe you do your own um, some other thing, you know, but just basically making ways for it to feel more comfortable, but understanding that you will have to do certain things and actually it gets easier the more you do it. But you'll still have that fear right before. For example, right before I get on this call with you, I'm like, Ugh. but then you get on, then you're in it, then it's happening, then it's fine, it's done. Um, so I, I don't ever think there's an excuse to say that your introversion or extroversion should hold you back. It's about making it work for you. I think I hear some sighs of relief out there, <laughs> especially when you said that it gets easier. I like that balance. I really, you're not ruffling my feathers because I agree with you. I think you're going to have to challenge yourself, but also what you're saying is don't forget that you get to set the frameworks and the rules. So if there's certain things you don't want to do at certain times, you can't totally not ever get out of your comfort zone, but you can still maintain some type of framework that keeps you sane, I guess we could say. <laughs> Absolutely. And another thing I'll add here is that when you're working with clients, um, you know, presumably if you're working with people in an industry that you already love, they're going to be kind of like you. They might also be a little bit introverted. And if they're not, they're going to understand you because you're a part of that community already. And it's also about ex sort of um, setting expectations when you start working with someone being like, you know, um, I'd really prefer if we communicate by Slack. If it's like an emergency, you can call me. So setting those sort of boundaries and expectations and letting them understand how you work best. Um, so fr framing it that way, not saying like, I'm a huge introvert and I don't like doing calls, but like, fr you know, this is the most efficient and productive way that we can work together. Um, that is something that I would recommend doing too. Being a digital nomad is a different lifestyle choice as we've talked about. And it's not something for everybody, but it's not something I don't think you can really know until you actually experience it. It's almost split in half for you. It sounds like you've spent the first half kind of being in the world, traveling, you know, doing these workaways and engaging on a very, uh, talk about in real life. I mean, just being in the world and experiencing it. And then now you have the, the sort of the digital world that's more of a part of your life. 
This was the biggest, most dramatic difference for me. How is those two worlds for you compare? I have some struggles with it, but uh, I, I think I'm making my pace of it and I'm finding ways to make it work for me. I think one of the big things was that I uh, recognized that I, I missed exploring. I, I noticed I was going to places and not seeing anything. It was like I went to a place and I might as well not have been there because I was working so much. I think that's been the biggest one for me, really. And also, I think I became more introverted when I started working online and maybe even a little bit fearful of social situations, which is something I'm, I've been working on this year a lot um, because I, I've been forcing myself to hole up and like this business has to work and blah, blah, blah. And spending so much time on it yep. and doing the whole hustle thing. And right. um, that, that didn't work for me, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that. It was very different in the beginning, and I think I'm starting to balance it out now. You know, now I, I'd say I only work half the day. The rest of the day, I'm either relaxing because I need to relax or I'm exploring the place that I'm in because I'm there for a reason. I chose it because I wanted to come and see this place um, and, and meeting local people and stuff. And then again, with the feeling of, I guess, more loneliness came when I started working online. I think just forcing myself to, you know, the four conferences in two months, that was a challenge that I set myself. It was actually intentional. Um, yes, it was difficult. Did I make a lot of friends? Yes. Did I make a lot of connections? Yes. Did I have lots of fun? Yes. And now I'm going to hold up for the next two months. So it's about, you know, I think striking a balance and what works for you and creating a business that does let you have time out and, and recognizing that just because you put in 20 hours a day doesn't mean you're going to be any more successful. That was a big one for me. Um, the whole hustle culture is so damaging, I think. And, I realize now when I, when I set myself, like I'm only working three hours today, I'm so productive in those, so productive in those three hours that um, the rest of the day is mine and I can feel accomplished and go out and, and have fun and not feel guilty like I have to be at the screen. Um, because I think for the first couple of years, there was a lot of guilt about, oh, I'm not doing anything and there's someone commented and I'm not there. And, you know, you see me vigorously stuff. shaking my head up and down. <laughs> this is really hitting home for me because it's that guilt is very real and very difficult to deal with because the to-do list and the things you feel like you have to do and you do have to do actually are piling up. How do you deal with, how did you deal with that? So a few things I would say one, I always, when I wake up in the morning, I do this every morning religiously, whether it's the weekend because there's no such thing as a weekend when you work online and travel. Um, so every single morning I do a brain dump and I say, what do I need to do? And I write it down just in my, literally I'm in bed and I'm on my apps, uh, my notes app on my phone what do I need to do? What's plaguing me this morning? You know, what's on my mind? Um, I write everything out and then I remove everything that's not a priority that doesn't need to be done like this week. I remove it. So that's that's gone. Like physically, like I can't see it, it's gone. Um, then I, I only leave the three things that are going to make a difference today that matter. So maybe it's getting back to that opportunity for that um, media pitch because that's really important and that's going to get me somewhere. Maybe it's getting back to that person who asked about my thing because they're probably going to buy and that's money. Um, and then maybe the less important things are, you know, replying to those comments on a thread a week ago that was like really interesting but not relevant at all anymore. Um, so I think it's about prioritizing what needs to be done and then sort of putting the rest out of my mind. And I, I definitely don't show up as much as I used to online and it hasn't made a difference because my focus has been on the money making activity. And basically for me, I'm like, if it doesn't affect my money or my reputation, does it matter? Probably not. Um, and that's pretty much it because there's a lot of things that don't affect those two things. And I'm like, they probably don't need doing, you know, or I've actually started to, and another thing that I think comes over time, I'm not going to say do this right out of the gate, but I've started to outsource a lot. Like I have three virtual assistants myself now. Um, and that's wonderful to outsource the things that I'm just not good at. So I'm just like, I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. It takes my time. You do that. You're good at, that's what other people are for, um, is to pick up the pieces where I'm not good at. So is the workaholism part that part where you are doing stuff almost all the time and it's just your head's down and it never seems to ever stop a necessary part. Cause I'd like to say it's not. And then we could all be smarter and we could all outsource like right away and all that type of stuff. But on some level, I kind of think it also might be necessary because that's not necessary in the sense of, okay, go torture yourself now. But by owning a business, you by default, get better at running a business because that's how you get better at things by starting it and doing it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I actually agree with you 100%. I think there is a period of time that everyone has to go through where your head is down and you're just learning everything and you're doing everything. Because even before outsourcing, 
I think it's important for you to know how your business works, like every aspect of it. And I, I, I think it's sort of a passage of rights in, in a sense that we do need to do that. And I don't mean working 20 hours a day. You can be smarter about it. You can work 10 hours a day, you know, <laughs> but I, I still think it's important. And I think it's something we all need to go through. And I actually don't think it's bad up to a point because I think that we go into it actually enjoying it in the beginning because it's all new. It's all exciting. Um, but there will be a point where you will hit a wall and then you do have to evaluate, is this actually serving me? How can I prioritize what I actually need to do and take time out and maybe start thinking about outsourcing? Um, and I don't think anyone's immune to it. I think most people that actually really want a successful big business do need to go through this process. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm, I think I don't want anybody to get discouraged, be like, oh, man, now I'm going to have to go through all that. Because, I mean, that's the point that we're talking about it now and sharing it so you can be aware of, okay, maybe I can set up some things to manage this guilt or to you know shut it off when I'm not enjoying myself anymore and, and those types of things. And that's why I think these conversations are important and just, yeah, being really open and transparent with what it actually means to be a digital nomad. This isn't, you know, the the Instagram beachfront photo with the laptop that would, in reality, really be melting in the sun. Yeah, and, exactly. And <laughs> sand in the laptop. Can't next. even see the screen, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the way it goes. So I don't think either of us is the type of person to tell anybody what to do. But if you were giving advice to somebody who. I guess they're saving up right now for their first or next big trip. And they they think, okay, well, in the long term, it would be great to have a location-independent business. Maybe that means I'm a digital nomad. Maybe that means I work from home and travel a bunch, whatever. That sounds awesome. But say it's their first trip, first big trip. You've had those two experiences, as have I, the, the traveling sort of without a smartphone, being in the world, that whole thing, versus the, I'm bringing my laptop, I'm working, I'm going to try to grow a business while I'm traveling, uh, and say it's their first or, or second or early on in the travel experience. What would you tell that person to do if you did have to tell them something? Or at, or at least what words would you offer that person that was making a decision? Should I just travel for travel's sake, or should I try to get this business going now? Um, I would say depending on their monetary situation, <laughs> right. the advice would be different. Um, but assuming that you have the money for this trip, I would say just go and enjoy yourself. Bring your smartphone. Who doesn't have a smartphone now? You know, start Instagram and your travels. Start like getting into the habit of doing the things that you might do for a business owner for yourself anyway, um, but in a way that's not very taxing on your time. Just like enjoy it. I, I would say enjoy it. If it's your first big trip, just enjoy the world. Um but yeah, you can bring your smartphone, take beautiful pictures, post them, share your experiences. Um, and, and, you know, you can start growing a bit of a social following without really having to do much work. <laughs> Great. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to talk a little about LGBTQ travel. And, you know, one of the biggest missions here is to just empower everybody to travel as much as they want, if that's something they want. And I wanted to hear from you some of the common travel fears that you've heard within that community and if they are justified or not. Yeah, so I, I'm really lucky. I haven't had many horrible experiences. I've actually had sort of more homophobia and stuff like that in my hometown, uh, which is that lovely place I told you about earlier. I think a lot of the fears that do come up, though, um, and I think it's definitely more prolific in the gay man um, arena and maybe trans arena, too, is, um, you know, if you're traveling with a partner, um, you know, when you're checking into an Airbnb or uh, a hotel that can that can be really awkward conversations uncomfortable conversations um the hotel assuming you need two rooms that kind of thing um and then having to choose your locations really carefully because of that um because if you do arrive in somewhere that is just not gay friendly and you want to book a hotel room and they put you in two rooms and then you have to request the single you're not going to request the single room so you're having a different experience to the average straight couple um and then, yeah, I think one of the things for me is that I've just learned to not do public displays of affection. Like we don't hold hands we, just by default. And I think that we probably would. And it was we were just in um, me and my partner were just in Cambridge in the UK. And we just saw a gay couple men holding hands. And I was like, oh, we could do that here. And we were like held hands. We're like, we haven't done this in so long because we just got used to just not holding hands, which it doesn't feel like a big deal. But then we did it and we we're like, oh. But this is nice. Like we didn't have to worry here. And oftentimes maybe we don't have to worry in other places, but we don't do it because we're not sure how people will receive it. We're not in a place that we know. Um, so I wouldn't say like I've 
personally had any like horrific experience, but it's just small things that you think about often that maybe other people don't have to think about. Um, and I, I definitely think that it's worse in the trans and gay man community because I think that um, there's a lot more stigma against gay men and trans people. It's even it's even more difficult across the world. I think well, that's no small thing, right? You got this person that you love, and you can't hold their hand walking down the street. You know, I mean, that's that must be hard. You know, me and my partner came from very privileged backgrounds where in our own home countries it would be fine, everything would be fine, and we're going to places. And when I'm there, like. I don't see it as a bad thing that we can't do it. It's just an indication of what it's like for the people living there. And it's more of a call to action to do something and why we should be more proud and why we should show up more in our business. And considering we have this, this platform of privilege, we should show up more and we should represent for the people that don't have this. So I think it brings to light issues for people living in these countries that we go to where we, we can't be as free because think about how it must be for them. Um, so that's something that I think, I was just at a conference for queer entrepreneurs and I honestly never thought about, you know, the fact that my gayness was a thing in business. Um, but then I look at my audience and I'm like, Oh, I have a lot of lesbians following me and a lot of lesbians from places that are, um, you know, maybe not as open and free for them to be who they are. Um, and then I realized actually I have a duty to sort of, to, sh- to flag, fly that flag. If, if not for me, because it's never been an issue for me, it's for other people that don't have that sort of, Um, freedom so I think that um, yeah like I said personally it hasn't been a big issue there are a lot of things you need to think about but um, it's become natural I think because it's my life but I think more so it's become a thing of like thinking about the people that live in those places what can we do to help them when we're there what can we do to you know support maybe gay owned businesses like I'm in Budapest and I'm like we should go to that cafe owned by those two gay guys like we should go to the library owned by that woman with her wife and their kid and like we should support those businesses because Budapest isn't particularly gay friendly but there are places cropping up so I feel like when we come here we want to spend our money wisely to support causes that elevate you know the LGBTQ community. I love that and there are power in where you spend your dollars and that bit of advice goes for everybody that's everybody should be supporting tolerance around the world and such a great point about just the people there, of course. I mean, you guys can move along and you can go to the next destination where it's more accepted or, or totally accepted. And uh, those people don't necessarily have that luxury. So uh, thank you just for being open and, and sharing that. And I, I really think it's important that it sounds like it's not an issue for you to, like you said, assume that role and, and wave that flag, but you're still doing it and you're showing up and you're doing it. And that's what's important. And we need more people out there doing that to uh, show others, hey, I, you can be a digital nomad too. This is cool. These are, you know, there's these things to deal with, but it shouldn't stop you from going out and seeing the world. Along the lines of resources, what are some of the resources that you guys have used to figure these things out? You mentioned destinations, being more gay friendly, and you know, trying to determine when you're when you're kind of planning and, and going places. Are there go to websites or anything like that that you recommend? Um, honestly. <laughs> It's just simply like Google, like, is it gay friendly here? (laughs) Is gay marriage accepted? Like on the scale of gay friendliness, how gay friendly? Like, is it something we can manage? Just simple Googling, asking friends too. Um, We've managed to connect with um, other gay couples who travel, Um, you know, figure out their experiences, you know, maybe they've already been to the place. Like what did they have anything terrible happen? (laughs) That kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I just, simple googling i think i wouldn't say anything in particular there are a few queer there's a queer women digital nomads group which i'm in um so we can talk about destinations in there i think you're just finding online communities asking your friends and simple googling really cool you have a five-day challenge that you run i think it could be helpful for some people listening so if you want to share any and all places to find you cool things you have going on where to connect with you and all that i'd love for you to do that Brilliant. Yeah. Well, my website, as you said, is digitalnomadkit.com. I do have a five-day free um, challenge, the five-day VA it's called. That runs every three months. And I think at the time of publishing, it should be coming out next week, January 7th. Um, we're starting again. Um, it's a really great way to sort of figure out if the whole VA freelance thing is for you. Um, we go through, you know, figuring out who you should be working with and what sort of services you should be selling. Even if you think you don't have anything to sell, um, you'll realize that you do. So it's a great challenge. A lot of people get their first client in five days. So it's pretty cool and it's totally free. So I encourage you to join us. Um, aside from that, I do private mentoring. You can find that all on the website. Everything else is on that website, digitalnomakit.com. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and letting me encroach on your time a little bit. I know. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> You're just getting settled after all these conferences and this whirlwind, but enjoy uh, enjoy your your downish time here. Try not to feel too much guilt when you're away from the screen. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Don't worry. I'm not. <laughs> uh, I hope we can cross paths here at some point and have another chat in person. It's a pleasure. That would be awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having me. All right. Take care. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Hannah. Thanks again to her for stopping by. And I will leave the link in the show notes to that five-day challenge she mentioned in the show. So be sure to check the show notes for that at zerototravel.com. And if you lose track of all these links and resources and things I mentioned in the podcast, don't worry. You can always sign up over there and keep in touch via the newsletter. If you like what's happening here on the podcast, you want to join the community online, we have some meetups when I'm traveling around, going to Mexico soon, going to Colorado. I'd love to meet up with some people in the community, We're doing some online stuff, workshops and things. And you don't get access to that if you're not on the email list because you can't hear about all the stuff that's going on. So if you'd like to keep in touch a little more, just head over to zerototravel.com anytime and sign up. We'd love for you to join the online community there. And before I share this email from a listener, I also want to thank Pimsler for supporting today's show. Zerototravel.com slash easy. This is my favorite way to enhance a language that you've currently been studying. Maybe you need to constantly stay on top of it. You need a refresher or you're starting totally from scratch. You start speaking right away with the Pimsleur audio courses. And I know language learning is a huge New Year's goal for a lot of people coming into the new year. You want to enhance your travel experience. You want to be able to just chat with locals and feel comfortable with it and travel with confidence. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. If you're based in the States, you can get access to a free seven-day trial for their monthly subscription service. Or if you're international, you can still use that link to go check out the courses that they have to offer. And if you love podcasts and audio and you like to learn on the go, I just love putting on Pimsleur lessons. And I actually, I'll run up and down this road that I'm looking at right now as I'm recording this here in Norway and listen to Pimsleur lessons and talk to myself. People might drive by and they see me talking, but, you know, whatever. They, they can just think I'm a crazy person. That's okay. What I'm doing is learning a language because you start speaking right away with these courses. It's an amazing thing. So, again, zerototravel.com slash easy. If you go through that link, you're also supporting this show, and you can get that free seven-day trial for their monthly subscription, which costs just the price of a couple burritos or a few beers out per month and you can enhance your travels forever. So be sure to check them out. And let me say thanks to Jess for <laughs> taking the time to write. She wrote me a really nice email. It's a bit long. I won't read the whole thing to you. But she just said, first, I want to say thank you for creating Zero to Travel. Your podcast has changed my life. And usually when I read these emails, <laughs> if I read a sentence like that, it's when I start getting a little choked up immediately. It just means so much. So thank you for the kind words. She goes on to tell her story. She was working at a desk job, but wasn't sure if she could do that forever. And she, quote, found herself daydreaming the entire day away about being anywhere else in the world. And then she said, it was the beginning of November when I couldn't take it anymore and spontaneously decided to study at a school in Madrid, Spain during the following semester. Somehow I got accepted. I found myself stepping off the plane into a country where I knew not one single person. It was the most exhilarating experience of my life. There were definitely times when I messed up making some amazing stories, such as forgetting to bring my passport with me to the airport that was six hours away from my house, losing my phone in the Isle of Sky, and having a stranger who lived 20 minutes away from me in Madrid find it and return it to me a week later, and trying to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa after hours, only to end up getting chased by 12 gigantic guards carrying assault rifles. <laughs> but I've learned so much from these experiences and will definitely never forget them. Thanks to your travel tips, I was able to travel to 18 countries in Europe, North Africa, throughout the semester as a broke college student. Some fun activities that I did were hang gliding and interlocking, skiing in the Austrian Alps, and riding a camel through the Sahara Desert. And she just goes on to say, I cannot thank you enough for all the that you've done. And for your listeners, that's you. I've learned so much uh, from you in the past year, along with my own travels and she goes on to say she's going to launch her own travel blog and just had a lot of other nice things to say in the email. So thanks, Jess. Congratulations. Adventures or misadventures are always adventures. I like how you said some amazing stories. That's what it is, right? When you're having those misadventures, really just keeping in mind 
at the moments they're happening. Hey, this is going to make a great story. Now, maybe if you're getting chased by 12 guards with assault rifles, it's kind of hard in, in mid-chase to think, ha-ha, well, this is going to be a really funny story later if I don't get shot. <laughs> I don't know why they're carrying assault rifles around the Leaning Tower of Pisa at night. Is it, I mean, I understand it's a, it's a well-known monument, but assault rifles sounds a little extreme. <laughs> anyway, congratulations on all your ventures. I'm so glad and I'm so inspired to hear that the tips you've gained through, uh, through the podcast and listeners and guests have allowed you to travel to 18 countries, as you say, as a broke college student. So there you go. That inspired me, and I wanted to share that with you. Thank you so much for that. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a quote now. And of course, this is going to be sort of New Year's goal-related-ish. This is from T.S. Eliot. And he says, For last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.